0: Last night, a dear friend of mine commissioned me to review one of the cinematic classics of the environmentalist movement, Free Willy. Produced with a then-impressive $20 million budget and released into the box office wilds in 1993, Free Willy was an instant smash hit and a damn good Nike commercial to boot. The movie opens as a nature documentary, almost, lavishing quiet minutes on watching a school of orcas, including our titular hero, Willy, currently free, swimming leaping singing and enjoying the majesty of a small bay in the north pacific the score is gorgeous soaring with flutes and then very suddenly it isn't there's a harsh metal sound like a horror movie leitmotif and we are introduced to the film's villains white dudes a ship of gruff fishermen shouting there we got him immediately calls to mind captain ahab in the hunt for moby dick and sure enough the ship is literally named the pequod after the sailing vessel from ernest hemingway's tale of revenge and homoerotic madness on the high seas the fishers quickly encircle the school of orcas cutting off its members and trapping the youngest in a net as his family weeps and mourns the young orca is alone willie is no longer free and the stage is set for our story to begin. Immediately, I'm thinking of Roman Colosseums, and the spectacle of hunting elephants and lions, of running horses and slaughtering bulls, all in the center of vast crowds of cheering imperial citizens. It also reminds me of the old era of Hollywood, when dozens of horses might be sacrificed to achieve a single action sequence. Intentionally or not, the next shot sets this up quite nicely. The title card reading, Free Willy, is laid over a bustling city square, sunny, covered in red stones, surrounded by Roman-style pillars. Its architecture in every way inspired by the empires of antiquity. Here in this Roman scene, we're introduced to our other protagonist, a scrappy Luke Skywalker with a mullet-looking white boy named Jesse, while him and his friends, a group of pre-teen runaways and orphans, skateboard, tag, and run from cops. By luck, or destiny... Jesse ducks away from Twelve into a mysterious door, where he tags a clear glass tank, and then, in the midst of a raging storm, makes eye contact with Willie. It's love at first sight. They understand each other, each a child alone, made motherless by the ravages of capitalism, unwilling to sing or dance for the adults who want them to produce a spectacle of commodified life. Jesse's life, then, very quickly, takes a turn for the better. He's placed with a gruff but loving and prosperous foster family, given a bedroom with a gorgeous view of the sea, and as punishment for his tagging, sentenced to community service at Northwest Adventure Park, the water park where he met Willie. He's introduced to Gray, the animal-loving trainer with non-binary vibes, they have a boyfriend in college, so my head canons that it's at tea for T4T tea relationship, and they just can't get Willie to perform like the park's owners want the whale to. Jesse also meets Randolph, an older native man who is quick to indulge all manner of tropes, joking about Jesse's whiteness, about old Indian things, and, you know, that kids wouldn't care about, reminiscing about a time he never saw when tribes could forest for a day and eat for a week without a concern for labor. These these two caretakers of Willie are in an interesting predicament, torn between a genuine love and respect for the animals in their care, and the imperative of their bosses, two nameless bald men in suits you can tell are villains because they drive an expensive car and look jealously at Willie. For Jesse's part, it's kind of a family, and he loses himself in the work. Him and Willie are best friends. Jesse plays harmonica for Willie, and the two learn to dance and play together. On one somber night, Jesse slips and hits his head, fainting before falling into Willie's tank, only to be gently lifted from the water by the much-feared killer whale. The two build a steady rapport, training together and becoming friends. And then, before Willie's debut performance, he is enraged by the rhythmic clapping of spectators, whose pounding on the glass makes an infuriating tick-tock, and then he charges at a group of children who flee in terror. It looks like a financial and reputational disaster for the company men, and one of them comes up with a brilliant plan. They're going to kill Willie and claim the insurance on his life. Here, at the 1 hour and 22 minutes mark, it's finally declared, we need to free Willy. And then they do. The circumstances don't really matter. To be honest, nothing about the plot actually matters that much. In a jaw-dropping twist, Jesse fulfills some old engine prophecy of unknown origin. He raises up an old whistle, calling for Willie to jump over a wall blocking the bay, and then, with the help of one of Randolph's prayers lifted from a storybook he had read to Jesse earlier in the film, Willie sails magically into the air and out to freedom in what is probably the most iconic shot of the film – then, the closing shot of the film is another extended nature doc, showing Willie swimming and swimming in the sun while Will You Be There, performed by Michael Jackson, plays in full. The song is an incredibly on-the-noise, on-the-nose choice that still, somehow, took me by surprise. Using this song, very explicitly in African American spiritual referencing the Book of Exodus, makes it clear Willie's freedom is a miracle. Throughout the movie, I had been viewing it all as a metaphor for prisons, a kind of like animal liberationist parable about the parallels between animal captivity and human captivity. Capitalism is an obvious villain, with every adult betraying their virtues in order to make a buck and survive. But more so, the villain is sin. Not just profit, but greed itself is the enemy. Not just imprisonment or enclosure in the Marxist sense, But captivity in the biblical sense. When I realized that Jesse's name very literally sounds phonetically like the letters J, J, and C, C Jesse J C, it hit me that yes, I was watching a Jesus narrative. Not only is Jesse's. Not only is Jesse very obviously a Pisces for his sullenness, dreamy eyes, and empathy with fish, he is literally THE Pisces, a resurrected messiah brought to Earth to fulfill a prophecy of liberation. Earlier in the film, when Randolph was reading a storybook to Jesse, my eyes glossed over, to be honest classic movie indian stuff the wise old engine teaches the white boy an old Indian story and the white boy learns to respect nature and get superpowers or whatever this was 1993 and dances with wolves was still fresh in the cultural zeitgeist with its closing miracle free willy ascended to join dances with wolves as well as the later james cameron's avatar as movies about magical white dudes who befriend an animal and get magical powers and also become honorary natives Knowing that, si- that, uh, knowing that director Simon Winsor is Australian only amplifies my suspicion that he had a lot of white guilt to exercise. It also makes me curious to watch Whale Rider, a very similar film directed by Nicky Caro, another white Australian, or maybe New Zealander, I should check that. But ultimately, Simon Winsor is a footnote on his own creation. He never worked on something this culturally ubiquitous before or since. His work as a director was, frankly, uninspired. His ability to film orcas swimming and dancing to capture their intelligence and sensitivity is remarkable. I only wish the same were true for his ability to film humans, which he does with the lifeless routine of a well-practiced, old-fashioned TV director filming scene after scene of standard coverage and obligatory character beats. The first 10 minutes, though, are genuinely stunning. With glittering lights, a score that leaps and dives through joy and menace, and a very strong sense of purpose, that these killer whales, like Jesus, represent the best and worst of mammal life, equally intelligent and petty, empathetic and cruel, creative and devious. It's a sincere movie and a great tearjerker for the tender-hearted among us. Or, if you're like me, a great chance to laugh at white nonsense. My next commission is for His House, a horror movie that I otherwise know nothing about. Expect that review around this time tomorrow. If you enjoyed this review, please share it with your friends. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Cui.X, C-U-I-D-A-D-X. Send me a tip on Ko-Fi or reach out on social media to ask about the possibility of commissioning a movie review of your very own. Thank you for listening, and I am Oren Romero.